Madonna, Rebel Heart, her critically acclaimed new album, featuring the brand new single, Ghost Town. Madonna, Rebel Heart, out now. Welcome to the Spooky Electric Podcast by me, Trent Venegas. You need another podcast like you need another hole in your head. So here we go. Well, hello, Austin. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I just did some rose mist, MDNA skin rose mist for good luck for this episode. Love that. Product placement. Maybe we'll get sponsored for next season. (laughs) That would be perfect. So since the last time that Austin and I recorded uh, our last Madonna episode together here in Los Angeles, he has since retreated up to the mountains to get uh, away from the craziness of L.A. So today we are recording uh, this new Madonna episode remotely. Yes, and hopefully by the next time we can be back in person together. That would be great. So we have been talking about Madonna album eras from the various decades of her career. We did uh, with True Blue to represent the 80s. Then we did uh, Bedtime Stories to represent the 90s. Uh, Our last episode was Confessions on a Dance Floor to represent the 2000s. And to represent the 2010s, we have decided to talk about Madonna's Rebel Heart. Yes, the album that, uh, the first Madonna album that came out uh, after we became friends, actually. Oh, that's right. Did we go to Amoeba together to get the record or did we go separately? Because I know that you, when a new album comes out, you like to go like first thing in the morning you go straight to Target or wherever, and and I'm not quite that uh, ambitious. But did we go to Amoeba together? I think it was you that I went with because I have a photo of me standing outside of Amoeba, in, in yes, front in of front the, of the in front of the Rebel Heart bus ad, wearing yeah. my Veruca Salt, the Seether's Louise shirt, like holding up however many editions I just bought of the CD. Right, right. So we did go together because I have a picture of me in front of that that uh, poster. I think it was a poster set up at the bus stop in front of Amoeba. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so this album, we have a lot to talk about. Um, for the longest time, I was not the biggest fan of this album. And then we'll talk about, you know, all of this as, as the discussion unfolds. But um, since the album has been released, since, the, you know, the past few years when I really had a chance to spend time with it and listen to it I have grown to love it way way more than I did initially which is which is great because now I I totally can see this album as as one of her best still could have been better and of course we'll talk about that as well but like in terms of like Madonna's albums is this like one of your favorites what what are your general thoughts about Rebel Heart um I loved Rebel Heart from the second those uh, demos happened, leaked, um, and then I loved the the album as it was finalized, the finished version. I thought it was brilliant for the most part. It was such a breath of fresh air after MDNA. It felt like she really had her heart in it and had a concept again. And it's just fun. It's it's like the biggest thing that I go to 
to Madonna for is to have fun. And that's what Rebel Heart is. It's fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I will say, and I'll talk about this more when we talk about the, the, the demos at length, but I was so, so excited when the demos leaked. Like every single one that came out was exciting and fun. And it was like this side of Madonna that I had missed or I didn't even know I was missing. I was so, so excited for the album because the demos were so good. And then I think when I when the album came out, I was like, oh, she made so many changes. And I think part of my initial um, negative reaction was that I was disappointed. And I think that that's where those negative thoughts for me came from. But we will get to all of that. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the album in general to just get some background information out there. So. Rebel Heart is uh, Madonna's 13th studio album. Uh, it was officially released uh, March 6, 2015. She worked on the album throughout 2014, co-writing and co-producing with various musicians, including Diplo, Avicii, and Kanye West. The album also features guest vocals by, strangely, Mike Tyson, which we'll talk about, and rappers Nicki Minaj, Nas, and Chance the Rapper. Thematically, Rebel Heart represents the singer's romantic and rebellious sides. The ideas grew organically during the writing and recording sessions. Musically, it's a pop record, which uh, merges an array of genres such as 90s house, trap, reggae, using acoustic guitars, a gospel choir. I mean, she really threw a whole lot of things into the mix. And strangely, it, it works way, way more than it doesn't, in my opinion. Uh, some of the songs are autobiographical in nature, while others talk about love and Madonna's career. Uh, to promote Rebel Heart, Madonna gave several performances on television and embarked on the Rebel Heart tour, which visited North America, Europe, Asia, Oceania from September to 2015 to March 2016. Living for Love, Ghost Town, and Bitch, I'm Madonna were singles released. And then apparently Hold Tight was also released in Italy yes. or something? Is yes, that what you said? it's an Italian-only radio single. Uh, and, you know, Rebel Heart received prominently or predominantly positive reviews from critics. Um, many reviewers called it Madonna's best effort in a decade. Uh, it debuted and peaked at number two on the Billboard uh, Hot 200 album chart, uh, reaching number one in other music markets such as Australia, Canada, Germany, Italy, Spain, Switzerland. Uh, Rebel Heart was certified gold or platinum in seven countries. So before we talk more about the album and, and the music, let me uh, go ahead and play a couple of short uh, interview clips that I have of Madonna, where while promoting the release of the album, she talks first about the uh, inspiration for the album. And then in the second clip, she talks about how the album actually was created with her collaborators. So we're, I'm gonna go ahead and play those for you right now. The initial inspiration was, um, I, was I was gonna make a two-sided album and, and have like 10 songs on each side. One side was, that's why I called it Rebel Heart. One side was gonna represent the more rebellious, um, provocative, envelope-pushing part side of me. Um, and then the other side was gonna be the more romantic vulnerable side of me. My original intention was I was just going to sit down with 
various songwriters and write songs. Just, that was my goal. I'm just gonna write songs, and I want all the songs I write to be something that I could sit and strum a guitar and sing from top to bottom without any other people involved. I could do it as simple as that. That was the goal. And then after I wrote a lot of the songs, I chose a lot of my favorites and started going out to various producers to work with. Sometimes I would get together with those producers, like Diplo, for instance, and they would have ideas for songs that I hadn't written already. So uh, that is how Bitch I'm Donna came about. It started off as just a an exercise experiment, so to speak, in songwriting with lots of different people, see what came out of it. And then I started to pick up steam with sounds and producers, and then I started to go in directions, but then I was also still in songwriting mode. And then I would bring some of the songwriters that I had in the beginning along with some of the producers that I had because I really loved working with Toby Gad and Mozella as songwriters. So I ended, ended up bringing them into the mix once I started working with various producers. So like I said, it was a train and people kept getting off and getting back on the train until the very end. I didn't really have a specific vision except I wanted to explore the duality of my personality, which is renegade, romantic, and I wanted to write good songs. That's it. Okay. So um, before we talk about the album itself and its release, we have to talk a little bit right now about the demos leaking fiasco that was the i think it was like the biggest album leak by such a huge artist that had ever happened before or even since um on october 28th 2014 two songs titled one titled rebel heart and the other wash all over me were leaked onto the internet the songs were taken down immediately and her manager guy osiri tweeted asking for help finding the source of the leaks and then on December 17th, 2014, 13 more songs were leaked, as well as artwork suggesting that the album was to be named Iconic. An aggravated Madonna clarified that the songs were demo versions from earlier recordings. She described the leak as, quote, artistic rape, which was not well received by anyone who heard that ridiculous statement. Um, the singer was crit criticized for referring to the hack as terrorism. I mean, for sure, Madonna was upset. She was very pissed off. And I'm sure she felt very uh, violated by, you know, her whole entire album being leaked onto the internet. So for sure, she had a strong reaction. But, you know, some people felt she overreacted by calling it rape and terrorism, which I kind of agree with. Um, but she ultimately decided to just, you know, she had to roll with it. She, uh, she said, quote, I wanted to plan everything in advance, release the single, shoot a video, start talking about my record and, you know, prepare for the release of the entire album and have everything set up just so. But we sort of were left with no choice. So she ended up releasing um, Rebel Heart for pre-order months early. So it was uh, the album was rushed for pre-release in December on iTunes and six songs were made available for download immediately, officially. And then um, when that happened, even more songs leaked. So what do you remember about this whole demos leaking period? Um, 
I remember it being the very last few days that I lived in my hometown before I moved to LA and I was like so excited. So I just got in the car and started driving around like Temecula and Lake Elsinore. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be her best album ever. And, um, and the yep. official versions went up on iTunes, I remember, and it's the first six songs yep. of the record. And I had mixed feelings on various songs, which we can get into when we when we deep dive the track list. But um, I was just really excited to, to summarize. Yeah. When the first two songs leaked, I mean, for me at that point, you know, a song or two leaking, especially a demo, wasn't really a big shock for me. I mean, it happens. I loved what I heard. I was very excited. Um, the first time I heard Rebel Heart, the demo version, I was like, oh, my God. Like, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about the song itself in context with the album and the rest of the demos. But I was so happy. It was like a return to form, but also like a whole new um, like avenue for Madonna to like soar again. I really, really thought that when this album came out, it was going to like shoot her straight into the stratosphere again, which was like super, super exciting. But then when the songs kept leaking like crazy and full length, you know, fairly finished demos. I mean, yes, they're, they're demos, but like they're really strong demos. Like, I don't know if they were like in their final form or, or at least close to their final form. And you as a music, uh, as a songwriter and a musician, you can probably speak to this more when we talk about the demos uh, later. But um, I was just impressed with what I heard. And I was like, if these these songs sound like this, it's going to be the best album ever. But her, the way that she was so upset, I really thought, well, fuck. What, you know, she's, she's I knew she was going to do something to like offset like this demos leak. So I wasn't surprised when the songs were changed. But I, I was disappointed that I was like, man, I really like them the way they were. And then the, the official versions were like, like, good. But, you know, it's kind of like it was already ruined because I, I already wanted something else. And then that's not what we end up getting in the end. Ultimately, um, uh, a police investigation led to the arrest of an Israeli man uh, who was charged with hacking into Madonna's computer and leaking the songs. So it wasn't like she lost her computer some guy in Israel like hacked into her account, downloaded all of this music, and then just released it to the internet. So, all right, let's talk about, um, we'll get back to the demos a little later. So let's go ahead and start talking about the track list for the, uh, the studio album, Rebel Heart, the super deluxe version, which, uh, available on streaming on Spotify and Apple Music and everywhere else, uh, is 23 tracks long. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's. Okay, so track one, Rebel Heart, Living for Love, produced by Diplo. It was also the album's first single what are your thoughts about this album, uh, this song? Um, I think it's pretty middle of the road and bland. And the whole like gospel choir felt a little um, reductive. And the video is like, oh, look, I'm referencing Take a Bow. And I'm going to end the video misspells Nietzsche. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, 
I mean, it's whatever. It's like it's a good it's a bop. Is it lead single worthy for that album in my opinion? No, I think it's just it's like it's an okay song. Yeah, I I feel like it's it's I agree. It, it it's an okay song. This is a song where I feel like the finished album version is better than the demo version because the demo leaked as well. Um, I think it makes a great opening track for the album. I don't think it makes a super strong first single, but it didn't bother me as much um, as a first single. Um, the song has grown on me over the years. Like I wasn't super impressed in the beginning, but the more I hear it, it's one of those songs that the more I hear, I like it more. Um, yes, it's like a pop gospel song. I think she was going for like a new incarnation of like her like a prayer anthemic thing. I mean, we know she loves anthems and these anthemic songs get more important the longer her career goes on. So who knows, maybe in 10 years, people look back and, and appreciate it more or like it more. Um, this was the first song that she performed officially when she was promoting the album. Do you remember when she performed this song at the 2015 Brit Awards? Who could forget? <laughs> so the first time she officially performs a song from her new album in front of the whole entire world uh, at the Brit Awards, she's dressed as a matador, as you mentioned, referencing Take A Bow. And pretty much everything that she does on this album is referencing some other part of her career. Like it's too uh, like on the nose to be accidental. Like it's intentional. Like this is an autobiographical album because she's screaming it and she's beating you over the head with that, with that point every chance she gets. So she's referencing um, Take a Bow and you'll see with her whole Matador thing. She's walking with this long train cape, you know, up the stairs and right at the beginning of the song, when the song starts and she starts to sing, she gets yanked back down the stairs, falls on her ass, and it's like, oh my God. And how funny is it that the next lyric is, um, I'm going to carry on. <laughs> yeah, I will say, I will say, as embarrassingly cringy, I mean, it happens. Uh, that was a very, very glaring fuck up like people fall all the time but like that was just like she got her ass yanked and it was just like <laughs> turned into memes and all of that but she you know she got back up and she kept singing and you could tell she was a little shaken for the first few seconds but you know she she was a pro she rebounded and she ended up um putting on a, a fairly decent performance which is basically what the music video is the, the whole look, the whole vibe, the choreography, the little round platform she's dancing on, all of that is, is featured in the music video as well. But at this point, we had already seen that her entire album leaked and then demos just kept leaking and she kept trying to stop it. And it just was this huge mess. And then she's finally promote, promoting the release of the album. And then this huge, you know, miss fuck up like in, in, on live television. I mean, it was not the great start of of this album era no i can only imagine how uh things went backstage after that performance <laughs> <laughs> i will say because it was such a huge um i mean it was just live on worldwide television she was asked about this 
a lot. Every every interview for the next you know month mentioned it, and she, you know, she wasn't a jerk about it. She you know she didn't. I'm sure she didn't like talking about it, but she was just like, you know what, like the the little tire on my neck didn't come undone. I got yanked back. I got back up. Whatever. So. I think she handled it pretty well. She could have, she could have done, you know, she could have called it artistic rape and dumb shit like that, but she didn't. She, she handled this, this, this one, uh, this mistake pretty well. So yeah. Um, okay. Track two, Devil Prey produced by Avicii. For me, um, the sound was, it's, the sound of the song is definitely like a throwback. I, I can't tell if it reminds me more of like something that might have come from her bedtime stories era or maybe from like her music era. It has like don't tell me vibes a little bit. Um, the biggest problem for me and Madonna's music, you know, from like the, the 2010s especially, is that her lyrics are have, were never strong to begin with. They've just gotten like weaker over time. Like I don't believe you know, what she's trying to, you know, the strength she's trying to portray in the lyrics that she sings. Um, but, you know, so it's like, I get what she's going for, but I don't always buy it. Um, this is a decent bop. Um, I like, I like the breakdown with the vocal distortions and I'm not a fan of like when Madonna, you know, does like vocals, things to her, her, her vocals, you know, distortions or whatever, but like this doesn't bother me. Um, but you know, when she's like, you know, we can do drugs, we can get high, we can sniff glue, we can drop acid. I'm like, I'm again, like I get what she's going for, but I'm just like, she, I don't know. I just don't buy it. And it, it, it doesn't really jive with me. So it's like a huge, like it's a, it's a, it's something that stands in the way of me, like genuine, gen, genuinely enjoying the song. when I'm just like, ugh. sometimes the lyrics or the delivery are like a little cringy. This is actually my favorite song on the album. Devil Prey is your favorite? Interesting. I, before, Why? Before I even knew that Madonna was working with Avicii, I was a big fan of Avicii. Oh, for sure. I love and him. And this song, to me, retained the most Avicii sound of any song on the album, because I think that them working together was magic. And I totally agree. I don't like that she took out the original intro that had kind of like that spaghetti western vibe, but... Um, I just I love the entire vibe of this song and I would kill for an entire album of of this Madonna and Avicii like meeting each other halfway. And yeah, then- for sure. I I I I 100% agree. A Madonna and Avicii album where they were both able to be, you know, themselves like his sound, her her you know, lyrics and delivery and they make magic together. And it's just as unfortunate that the true beauty of what they could have done never really came to fruition. Yeah. And the lyrics are definitely the sniff glue lyric, especially is clunky, but very but clunky I past it because the sound and the vibe of the song is just so amazing to me. I so I agree because there are many songs where I feel like the lyrics are so ugh, like cringe, but like, I love the song. I love the music. And if it was playing at like a club, I would totally like just dance to it and like lose my shit. So I, I 100% get what you're saying. Um, yeah. Um, track three is Ghost Town. Uh, this was the album's second single. Um, pretty epic ballad. 
What are your thoughts on Ghost Town? I think this should have been a massive hit because I think if another artist sang it, it would have been a massive hit. And the music yeah. video is amazing. She's not she's not referencing anything in her past. She's creating a super new and fresh and iconic look with her top hat, and it's the apocalypse, and she's got her grills. And I I don't yeah. hate the grills. I know everybody hates the grills. I mean, I think they're kind of tired at this point, but like the grills in Ghost Town was a cool aesthetic to me. And then when she performed it at the iHeartRadio Awards and had Taylor Swift come out, but had Taylor Swift only play guitar, yes. like that's some big dick yeah. energy. Like having having yeah. like arguably the world's biggest musical artist come out and just play guitar for you was awesome. Like and 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 like just chords. Like she wasn't like shredding on it. She was like just strumming along chords, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like literally like one of the biggest pop stars in the world. And she was just happy to sit on a stool next to her strumming a guitar. Brilliant. Um, yeah, I agree. I think this is a pretty epic ballad. Um, I think the song would have done much better had it been released earlier in her career. I feel like um, it gets a little lost in, in, you know, in the wake of like hard candy and MDNA and grills and you know album uh, uh, demos leaks, like I feel like the 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 really strongest stuff of her that she puts out lately gets kind of muddled in all of that. But I really really like the song, and I'm not a big ballads person. I say it all the time, but this is one of her her great ones, and. Um, it's proved to me that Madonna was still able to recognize a beautiful song and um, like not shy away from that kind of beauty. Um, all right. The video, the video, I, the video's cool. I wouldn't, it's not my favorite. Um, I feel like Terrence Howard, he's the guy in it, right? Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> And, you know, she's she she looks cool. It's very Stevie Nicks vibes, you know, with the top hat and the the long coat. She looks fantastic. She's not preening and she's not like um, like showing off. So I do like that. Uh, you know, the, the it's like I, I think the video starts where it's like it's 10 years in the future, something like that, like po post apocalyptic. And I guess they're supposed to be like the last family on Earth or at least the last family wherever she's at. Um, I think the song is more beautiful than the narrative I get from the video, but that's just me. Hmm. Um, okay, so track four is Unap Unapologetic Bitch. This one was produced by Diplo, and it's very obviously produced by Diplo. I personally wish I loved the song more. I love the title. I love the spirit of the song. Um, uh, the reggae thing is like a hard sell for me because I'm like Madonna reggae, okay? Because I'm like picturing her with like cornrows and I'm like, ugh, I'm like, ugh. like something about it just bothers me. And I think it's just me. I don't necessarily think it's bad. It just doesn't really work for me. It feels a bit off, uh, but it's not a deal breaker. I don't, you know, I don't even hate the the tacky air horn. Like Diplo loves to do that air, ho air horn effect in way too many of his songs in this song it doesn't bother me i feel like it kind of goes with the vibe of what she's going for um 
in spite of the things that turn me off, I genuinely like the song though. If I heard it in the club, I would definitely dance to it. Like, you know, this is a song that you can like party to. And I think that in the end, that's like really all that matters with a, with a big bop that she's going for with this. Um, and again, as, as you and I have mentioned over the course of, of the albums that we've talked about, this is another one of her songs, kind of like Human Nature, where she's like, you know, Madonna, no fucks given. She's an unapologetic bitch. Yeah, it's very um, on brand for her. I think the production is amazing. I think the verses are amazing and it all leads up to what should be like this insane chorus. But the chorus is like the weakest part of the song for me. It's too, it's too yeah. dirty and it's too lacking in melody after all of all of the great verses and pre-choruses we've just heard. So I I I wouldn't turn it off. I enjoy singing along to it, but I I think the chorus lets it down. Yeah, I agree. Um I wish there was a video for this. I feel like this would be like she could probably do like a really fun video with this, but then it probably would turn out something like her bitch I Madonna video, which is like whatever so I don't know like maybe she would maybe if she did a video it wouldn't be as interesting as I think it could have been but I, I, this is a song that has so much potential and like I said even the things that 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 bother me or turn me off are far from deal breakers because I do like the song so maybe I'm just nitpicking because I just want the song to be like it's such a great song title it's such a great moment you know like Madonna of all people unapologetic bitch like it just it's like a no brainer and maybe it just bothers me. And I'm like, why don't I like it? Like, why don't I think it's perfect? I think that's where I'm coming from about that the song. Um, track five is Illuminati. This is one of her collabs with Kanye West. Uh, you, I have thoughts about this song, but let me let you start. What do you think about Illuminati? Um, I think, I hate the production. I think that Kanye completely harpooned the vibe of the song. But my nephews, mm-hmm. my twin nephews were seven at the time. And this was, they were obsessed with this song. So their mom would hit my, my sister, their mom, would play it in the car on the way to school. And they always were like, play Illuminati. But they weren't allowed to listen to Bitch, I'm <laughs> That's <Madonna>. really cute. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think that, I think that, I mean, people obviously like the production. I just think that it just is, I mean, the, uh, rapping about, jay-z and beyonce and obama and lady gaga and bieber and lebron james it's just it's like it's like we're going back to drinking a soy latte and i'm just like let's just Mm -hmm. it's got got some good hooks in there but uh, Mm -hmm. there's too much wrong with it for me i'm so glad to hear you say that because sometimes we don't agree um this song like just baffles me it's like what was she going for like like what what was the whole point? Like, I guess, I think I read somewhere that, like, she was fascinated by the thought that people thought that she's part of the Illuminati, like this big shadow group that controls everything in the world. And that's kind of what inspired the song. And I'm like, well, okay, so what what are you trying to, to convey with this song? Um, like, my first thought when I heard her rattling off all those celebrity names was like, oh, she's going for like a Vogue roll call again. And it was around the time that um, if if I remember correctly, all the people that she'd mentioned in Vogue, like all those celebrities from the, you know, the, the golden age of Hollywood, they had all passed away. I think Lauren Bacall was the last one. So my first thought was like, oh, she's going for like this Vogue roll call again. I'm like, okay, you know, the Beyonce and Obama and Bieber thing. Um, 
uh, I think it speaks a bit to like, she, you know, cause the album, her inspiration was like, she wanted to have like rebellious songs and she wanted to have like heartfelt romantic songs. So I guess it was like on the rebel side. Um, and the music reminds me a lot of the production on Christina Aguilera's Bionic album. Like that was the first, the first thought. I'm like, oh, this reminds me of like what Christina did, that's you know, eight, eight years earlier. And, you know, maybe that's more like the production's fault. Like maybe that's more on the Kanye's fault, but like, I don't know. It didn't sound like fresh enough to me where I was like impressed. And Madonna rapping, I gotta say, it's never a good thing. <laughs> but at least her spoken word rap isn't, isn't the worst thing I've ever heard. And so I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> like her, her speak rapping is like, eh, it's not terrible because when she rap raps, it's, in my opinion, not great. I'm like, Madonna is good at so many things that the things that I think she's not really good at are just, they just glaringly stick out to me. Like when she tries to sing in a different language, <laughs> not, not, not super well. It just is like a sore thumb to me. When she raps, it's a huge sore thumb for me. But at least when she talk raps, that's that's like, okay, I can live yeah. with that. Um, track six is Bitch, I'm Madonna, the album's third single. And um, so I'll start. Uh, I feel like um, I have such a love-hate relationship with this song because I wanted to love it from the beginning. And depending on when I hear it or what mood I'm in, I enjoy it. But there are times when I'm just like annoyed by it. Um, and, and far and away, the things that annoy me the most is the really heavy handed Diplo, you know, pulling out his dick and just like smacking it on in your face with like his like annoying beats and the air horns and the, you know, he, you know, like he's like main stage at some EDM festival like cool like that's what he does and that's what she wanted and that's how the song turned out I guess if I'm like in a party moon I enjoy it but if I'm just like wanting to hear the album or just like listening to it in the house and it's like <laughs> like I don't know it just like grates on me sometimes so it's definitely a love hate um, with with this song you know the title is perfect when I first heard it, I was like, cool, this is going to be like her. It's Britney bitch, you know, from Gimme More that Britney Spears had, was such a huge success for her. And it, since it's now like it's Britney bitch is is so iconically Britney in an, it's not in a very serious way. It's not ironic. It's not funny. It's not stupid. It's not silly. Like it's Britney bitch is like a trademark now. And I think bitch, I'm Madonna could have been that for her or maybe that's what she was going for but it didn't really ever do that in my opinion no. i mean i love this song i think it's so fun and i feel like if you're gonna call us on bitch i'm madonna like you're gonna have to go like full balls to the wall like everything turned up to a 12 of ridiculousness and their original lyric was uh makes me want to take my top off but i don't know who convinced her to screw the top off because Take My Top Off is such a more perfect lyric for that song. Um, yeah. And I even love the Nicki Minaj verse. Oh, me too. It's so me fun. Too. I think the video is super fun. I wish that the celebrities had actually showed up. 
but it I know too many of them and you know yeah too many of them like just appear like appear for like three seconds which is like ridiculous but Rita Ora yeah, was there Chris Rock. thank and goodness Diplo and David Banda <laughs> but I mean it's like if you're trying to do a power move and be like look at all these celebrities I know don't have them like call in through zoom because then that just looks like oh they they were yeah. like oh yeah I'll do this but I won't show up um and this is so pre-Zoom. This is so pre-video call. Like, there's no excuse for fucking Katy Perry to not be there in person. I mean, come on. Kanye West was like a producer on the album, and he's not even there in real life. Yeah. Or on set. Yeah, that's... Um, I totally agree. Uh, Nikki, I love Nikki's verse on it. I think she when when she collaborates with a rapper like Nicki Minaj, it makes sense. Nas, Chance the Rapper, I'm like, okay. Like, Lil Wayne, I'm like, okay. Like, I don't know. Like, I guess she's going for cred. I don't know. For sure, these guys want to collaborate with her, Maluma. Like, of course, who's going to say no to her? But for me, it those those don't make sense. If she collaborated with just all female rappers, and it's not just a woman thing. It's just like a, I don't know, make sense thing. Because Nicki is a rapper, but she's also a pop star. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, I think, for the two of them to collaborate. But anyways, I, I do love Nikki's um, guest vocal performance on this track. And if, if I heard this at, at a club and I'm like drinking, I'm fucking dancing. And I will be that annoying person, like, you know, making the air horn noise, my voice and all of that. Yeah. So again, it's a song that I I can love just as much as it annoys me. And you know, that's fine. That's totally yeah. fine. Another thing about this song the- is... um. So we there the news that was super awful and sad came out this morning that the producer Sophie tragically mm-hmm. died and she co-produced this song with Diplo. And I yep. found a quote and just to talk about Sophie for a second, her work with like her own solo work, her work with people like Charlie XCX, like literally game changing yeah. in the music industry. And you can hear a lot of Sophie's influence, especially on the on the breakdowns in the in the song. But um so I found a quote from Sophie about uh, working on this song and it's a little long but it's pretty good so Sophie said in my mind Madonna created the blueprint for modern pop stars her create her creativity has gone further wider and longer than anyone else I can think of I feel like her songs have been consistently memorable and meaningful I have loved all of Madonna's different phases at different points but I think the bedtime stories era is really intriguing especially the production it has a unique feeling Mm-hmm. It's so much more fully formed and sexy than a lot of the trip hop stuff that was coming out around that time. It's definitely been an influence on my own music. Working with her was really quite a one-off spontaneous thing. I suppose a happy coincidence. I felt a connection with the title, but you have to prevent yourself from getting too excited about that kind of thing. People still write about that song in every article and they write about me. So I guess she still means a lot to everyone operating in music right now. So I thought that was a pretty uh, cool quote from Sophie. That really is a great quote. Um, and just just to, to give a little more context about what happened. So literally in the last day or two, um, Sophie suffered an accident. So Sophie is this producer, really up and coming, as you mentioned, with Charlie XCX, like a bunch of really, really fantastic younger artists also worked with Madonna. Um, it's a full moon right now. And apparently while she lives in Athens, 
she climbed up to go get like a view of the full moon and she fell to her death, which is horrible. And the news just broke this morning. So I'm glad that you mentioned um, that you reminded me that she worked on this track because it is a huge, huge loss to have to lose someone so young, so talented, so tragically, so suddenly. Really, really sad. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a bummer. It's really, really sad, sad news. It's heartbreaking, honestly. Um, the last thing I want to mention about um, this song is the video. Well, we talked about the video. She performed it on uh, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, uh, which I think is way more fun than the video. It's the same sort of like one, you know, one shot take of her performing throughout the Tonight Show Studios. Rocco shows up doing a skateboard trick, which was fun and cute. Um, that pink studded jacket, leather jacket. Oh my God, I love it. Like, it's such a fun, like that performance is so fun. And everything about it, the party atmosphere of that performance, I think um, brings that song to life. And that's the vibe, that's the happiness that I get when, when I'm like feeling the song. So I think that's my favorite performance um, of any of the Rebel Heart songs that she performed when she was promoting the I album. Agree with that. Um, okay, so let's move on. Track seven, Hold Tight. This was uh, released as a single in Italy, but not anywhere else. And it is uh, a song that Madonna produced all on her own. Really? For me, yeah. For me, not a bad track. Music's okay. The lyrics are okay. I think it's a decent album track. Uh, the sentiment of the song, Holding Tight, is a really strong one right now, especially now, like it resonates now. Um, it borders on becoming anthemic. Uh, and that kind of resonates with me because I, you know, I kind of like when Madonna goes big and it hits and it works. Um, the title track of this album is the perfect example of that for me. Um, so this song gets there, like it, like it, it's gets there, not quite, but it gets there enough where I enjoy it. Yes, um, I don't remember being particularly impressed when I heard the song initially, but it's a song that I've I've come to uh, appreciate more over the over the years. Yeah, hold tight, just. It's just dripping in Ryan Tedder for me. The song. Yeah. And it doesn't help that it's yeah. pretty much an exact carbon copy duplicate of Gwen Stefani's song, Baby Don't Lie, that had come out a year or two earlier. Like, legitimately, uh, they're the same song. To me, they're the same song. And the one thing that... I didn't make that connection. A, it, one of my biggest pet peeves with songs is when the second verse is just the exact copy and paste of the first verse. Like, that's just the laziest thing you can do as a songwriter. And yeah. it's, it, she didn't even, she didn't even sing the second verse differently. They literally just copy and pasted it. And I'm just like, that's ugh, whatever. I mean, I like the chorus. It's a fun song, but it's, it's in, it would be in the, the bottom of my Rebel Heart track list ranking just because it's lazy and it sounds like Gwen Stefani. Do you think um, that, it's quote unquote lazy because Madonna just produced it herself. Like she didn't have someone produce it for her. Like not, I'm not saying she's lazy. I'm saying maybe it's just like within her skill set. I mean, I there's know. no reason that she would know how to record verse one, but then 
not know how to record verse two. And I felt like there was a second verse in one of the demos. I don't know. It's a bizarre decision that makes literally no sense. Like that's a, a technique that like you do when you're demoing a song and you haven't written the second verse yet. You're like, let's just copy and paste the first one and the second one just so we have it. Like when you listen to some of the Kylie Minogue leaked demos from the X album, they did that a lot just as a way to build the song. And it just, I'm like, did just nobody realize that they forgot to put in the second verse? Like, how does that happen? How does that go? That's why I like talking to you about these things because you as a songwriter and as a musician, like you, you hear all this stuff and it like sticks out at you and even making that connection with that, with that Gwen song. Like I didn't hear that, but I'm like, Oh, I guess that makes sense. So y'all are are done listening to this podcast, go listen to hold tight and then play baby. Don't lie directly after and just, and your mind will be blown. And did Ryan Tedder write yeah. both? Yep. Well, there you go. Um, okay, so track eight is Joan of Arc, um, produced by Toby Gad. Uh, Joan of Arc, man, she is the she is the saint that all pop stars write songs about. Uh, Allie and AJ released a song recently, I think last year, Joan of Arc on the dance floor or something, which I always think is so weird. Like, I'm like, I don't know. I guess they're going for that holder thing, you know, like associating with martyrdom or something. For me, the song, a bit slow, a little too laggy. The chorus picks up and saves it, like redeems it. Um, It's another song where the lyrics make it a problem for me because it's not something I'd necessarily like to sing along to, personally. Um, Madonna doing the martyr thing, uh, you know, earlier in her career might have worked better, I think. Uh, she's far from a martyr these days, you know, like even lately since the rebel heart era, you know, she's very privileged and we see it every day on her social media. And I think it kind of negates that whole, like, you know, I'm a martyr thing that she might've been going for here. Um, But I do appreciate that she was attempting vulnerability. Um, I think you know, as, as we talk about these songs being autobiographical or at least referencing her her life and her career. I am charmed when Madonna shows vulnerability. So I don't necessarily think that it, she fully succeeds with the song, but I, I, I kind of get what she was going for. And the attempt is like, okay, I, I, I get that. I, I guess I like that. Yeah, I love this song. I think it's some of her most vulnerable beautiful lyrics on the album i love the melody Mm -hmm. the most melodically strong songs on the record it's relatable to pretty much everybody she's not being so specific to her life that it's like yeah nobody because i mean there's certainly times in my life where that's come on and i'm just like oh this is hitting right now (laughs) um i think it's a great song i think that one of rebel heart's problems is so bloated in its track list that songs like this get buried like mm-hmm. songs like Hold Tight did not need to be on the record. But this is like an essential Rebel Heart song. And it's, I wish that she'd performed it on the tour, but I think she performed it on Ellen is the only place she performed it. But that's been years. Oh, interesting. But um, I might be wrong on that because that's just me. That's just going off my memory, which is not great. But uh, no, I think that I love this song. I think that it's essential to the album and essential to it's it's like human nature and unapologetic bitch, but it's the flip side of that. It's like her vulnerable side. It's completely her. And I love that about it. It's just funny. Cause I just think it's interesting that many pop stars write songs about or reference Joan of Arc. And I'm like, 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think that it's she's definitely like leaned far too deeply into Joan of Arc after this because this was like a cool, yeah. like, a cool one-off idea. Like, I'm not Joan of Arc. I'm only human, but maybe I'll get there one day. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's a cool way to present the idea of Joan of Arc. And Madonna always has these people like Joan of Arc and Frida Kahlo and James Baldwin that she just references twenty four seven. Yeah. And I think yeah. that this was the best way that she's referenced Joan of Arc for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's that's well said. Um, track nine is iconic. Another song produced by Toby Gad. What do you think? Um, I love Chance the Rapper's verse. I think it's amazing. I think I love when he says Madonna said I remind her of Michael talking about Michael Jackson. I think that's an interesting, Mm -hmm. (laughs) an interesting, I think Chance the Rapper is one of the most talented rappers alive right now. I love him. And I love, I think that if, if Madonna was the person that was like, you know, oh, I, I like this, this song from Chance the Rapper. Can we get him? That would be really a cool thing. The rest of the song is not iconic. And yeah, I don't understand why Mike Tyson's there. I don't understand why there's no melody in most of the song. The, the lyric of I can't icon two letters apart is like, I think one of her worst lyrics. I'm just not a fan of this one. Like again, another, in my opinion, big missed opportunity. Her fan club is called icon. She is referred to as an icon. You would think a song by Madonna called iconic would be literally iconic. And this is not, Um, you know, Mike Tyson, you know, he may be, you know, redeemed now and all of that, but, you know, very hugely problematic, you know, abused his wife and all of that. So not a huge Mike Tyson fan. So that right off the bat puts a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, the song does remind me a little bit of Rihanna's Only Girl in the World. Do you hear any of that? Like when I hear it, I'm like, that's what it reminds me of. And I'm like, so that doesn't bother me. Um but again, it's another song that sounds like another pop star. And I'm like, why is Madonna trying to sound like other artists when she should be like, you know, forging new new sounds for herself? Um, I like Chance's performance. I'm not a huge rap fan, so, you know, I can't speak with any authority. I like Nikki's guest performances, but I, I better, but I like chances better than whenever Madonna worked with like Lil Wayne, who I cannot stand. Mm-hmm. So I don't know Chance the Rapper very well, but like, it, this is cool. This is cool. Um, again, it's a song that's like, oh, Madonna, iconic. Like, I want to love it. And it just falls way yeah. short. But as the opening track of the Rebel Heart Tour, I think it works as an opening, like a big number, like with the, you know, all of the religious clothing that her dancers wear and the big cross staffs and all of that. And she comes out in the cage, you know, like all of that works as a live performance, but not really a song that I am like, oh, I want to hear that song. Oh, I want to put that song in the playlist. Oh, I want to dance to that song or I'm going to request it at the club. Like it's not a song that I would ever think about you know enjoying that I way it's her worst tour opener the performance is cool but just the song just like drags and it's like she it's she, oh my god she's coming from the ceiling she's about to come out of the cage and then the song starts and it's just like slow and boring and yeah 
Yeah. And then the only cool part, I mean, and I know we're going to talk about the tour later, but the only cool part of the performance for me that's like actually iconic is Walt Chance is rapping on the screen and then she like is hanging upside down from one of the crosses because his verse yeah. is like, it's his verse is so high energy and it builds instrumentally like you think it's going to, you know, explode into outer space. But everything else around his verse is just boring to me. I, I yeah, like I'll say, like, I don't like the song doesn't do anything for me. But having rewatched, uh, so I rewatched the Rebel Heart tour in, in preparation for this episode. And I was like, oh, you know, I guess it works. But I don't know. Maybe I was just in a, in a mood. I don't know. It was, it's, it's a fine opener for me, I guess. But yeah. Um, track 10, Heartbreak City, produced by Avicii. Um, for me, not my favorite. This is the only song that Avicii worked on that I don't like. Uh, for me, I feel like the song fails where Ghost Town soars. Like Ghost Town is like such a soaring ballad that I re- enjoy. And Heartbreak City, which apparently is in the town over from Ghost Town, <laughs> um, is is on the opposite end of the spectrum where, where, Ghost, where Ghost Town soars, Heartbreak City is just like a, you know, like a wilting flower for me um it's a plaintive ballad that just doesn't execute well for me i hate the fake marching marching drums i don't know I mean, the song is is trying to be an epic i mean I, I always feel like ballads are trying to be soaring epics or at least heartfelt meaningful like songs and this one doesn't it swells but it never builds to a successful crescendo I don't yeah, love it. It's another one of those songs that is that's bloating the album. It it it's it's uh it doesn't need to be there. It's not like it's not making the album any better. It's it's like Yeah, like an album that has twenty three tracks and there and there were like so many songs that didn't make it. This makes it like what? Yeah, it's fine. It's it's a it's a piano song that she's singing about a breakup. It's just it's fine. It's not a song I think about. Heartbreak City <laughs> and a breakup is the cheesiest thing you could ever come up with as a metaphor. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I'm going through a breakup. I'm living in Heartbreak City. Come yeah. on. It's uh it's not a it's not a song I stop <laughs> on very often. <laughs> um all right. So track eleven is Body Shop. Not to be confused with Candy Shop. Um, go ahead. You you can start this one. What do you think about this body song? Shop? Gets a lot of hate, and my big issue with this is if you if you take off if she just was singing gibberish, like the instrumental is one of my favorite instrumentals on the album. It's gorgeous when she's when she's doing her background vocals like in through auto tune. It sounds amazing. The production is amazing. The whole concept of the instrumental is amazing. The melody, I love it. The lyrics are the worst lyrics on the album. And I just, I, I met such mm-hmm. a, I have such a hard time with this song. So I'm just like, oh, this, everything about this is so great. But why is she doing this awful metaphor about like her body shop? It's just so cringe. Ugh. Cringe. So cringe. Um, I feel like her vocal syncopation is weird. Um, the innuendo of her, you know, body being like a car. Like, I literally want to take pencils and shove them in my eyeballs when she's when she says, "You can polish my headlights." <laughs> I mean, come on! Like, the only thing worse than 
living in heartbreak city during a breakup is you can polish my headlights because my car, my body is in the body <laughs> shop. Like, oh God, it's just, what the fuck? Like, these these are examples of like, there's so much good stuff and there's so much stuff that's like promising and like really enjoyable. Even, you know, a silly, annoying song like Bitch I'm Madonna is like fun more than it's not. And then you have these glaringly cringe moments where you're just like, Oh, it's like embarrassing. It's like the secondhand embarrassment as a fan for me is a problem. Yeah, I didn't realize how many places she's taking us with this album. We've been to Heartbreak City, Ghost Town, A Body Shop. She she took us <laughs> to hell on Devil Prey. It's really just like where in the world is Carbon San Diego but make it a Madonna album. <laughs> um all right, let's continue cuz we're only halfway Good. done with the uh the the tracks on the album track 12 is holy water produced by kanye west um i'll start this one uh this is a song where again a song that i wanted to love um you know if madonna's gonna be like bitch get off my pole like that's kind of something like yeah like i should like that and i don't necessarily in this in this song i think for me the the Kanye-ness of it is what um, sours it for me. I will admit that I think this is around the time and I'm, I'm not sure, but like when Kanye released his Yeezus album, like I liked that album. So I was kind of like a Kanye fan. I, I, at least I didn't like, I, I can't stand him now. Like he's lost his mind now and he's he's crazy now. I'm, I'm not a fan. But back then I was not, I had no problem with him. So I guess... It's just it just doesn't work for me. Um, it's it sounds like a demo, in in a bad way. Like this finished song sounds like a demo that needs to be finished. Like it's just not completed for me. That's how I yeah. hear it. Um, the bones of the song don't fully f- form substantially to like a solid song. Um, Again, and again, she's she she does a Vogue she that call back to Vogue, which at this point, I I love when artists reference their older stuff, but like when they do it once on an album, you know, like when um, Veruca Salt called back to see their on their on their their second album, like that. I like like that's like a little nod to the fans wink wink that's cool far too many songs on this album do that and we haven't even gotten to the song where it just like pukes all (laughs) of these references just all over the place and there's nothing wrong with it and for sure I get that she's going for like this autobiographical you know me being vulnerable this is me sort of thing but if it's too heavy-handed it just doesn't work for me. And it, and this is just, they just are adding up now. We're at track 12 and already the references are starting to not annoy me yet, but it's like, okay, here's another yeah. one. We get it. <laughs> You're Madonna. We get it. Yeah, this song, I don't, bitch got off my pole, hate it. Jesus loves my pussy best, hate it. Production, hate it. Hate it. Vogue reference, hate it. She, it's literally the same exact Vogue sample from I think the Sticky and Sweet Tour when they mashed up um, Vogue in four minutes, which was cool. I'm like, that was fun, but, but let's yes. not do it again. 
Yes, 100%. See, thank you so much. Because like, this is what I tried to convey. Like, it's cool when you do it once, or even if you do it once per album or something, you know, or, or in a live performance, it's always cool. Because it's like, a, it feels more special, like yeah. a one-off, even if she's doing it every single mm-hmm. show. But it feels more special. But when every other song or every single song makes a reference again and again and again, it just feels too heavy handed, too ham fisted and And there's annoying. nothing about Holy Water that has anything to do with Vogue. It's just like, why? It, there's not, it's not even clever. It's just like, there's no point. I'm like, there's nothing that happens in Holy Water that's like, oh man, that's kind of like Vogue. Like it made. This is another. And this is like when a, she did the whole Vogue callback. Yeah. How many times have we yep. can call back to Vogue before we just stop calling back to Vogue? Yep, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, again, this is another song title where you're like, okay, Madonna, iconic, should be iconic, right? And Madonna with her whole like you know religious and Catholicism thing of her whole entire career, you'd think a song called Holy Water from Madonna would be kind of like epic or at least entertaining and it's not and it's disappointing and you know I mean for sure I've heard worse things in the world but the fact that the disappointment I think is what was such a huge barrier for me in enjoying this album when it first came out um okay track 13 inside out uh you know the music is pretty this is actually one of my the songs I enjoy the most on the album I liked it when I heard the leaked demo. Um, you know, she makes a reference to Truth or Dare, another callback, but, uh, you know, not super glaring, not super annoying at this point. Um, but again, the callbacks are adding up. Um, so I like it. I love the lyrics. I love the melody. And I think Kanye ruined it production-wise. Yeah, again, like, where I feel like his production on uh, on Holy Water didn't work for me this time didn't bother me. It's just such a pretty song and it's trying to be all like dark and, and almost industrial. I'm just like, what? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. I like the song. I just don't, I think Kanye kind of ruined it. Yeah. Um, thankfully, we are on to track 14, Wash All Over Me. One of the highlights, in my opinion, uh, produced by Avicii. So go ahead. What do you think about Wash All Over Me? This is one of, this is the first time that I think we're seeing her being super vulnerable about the fact that her career is kind of just like, she's not the queen anymore. I mean, she'll always be the queen of pop, but it's mm-hmm. like, you know, when you look at between MDNA and then Rebel Heart, like all of these people, and even before MDNA, like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Rihanna, there's like all these new pop girls and this song lyrically just I feel like she's singing about that like she's singing about kind of like the end of of her reign Mm -hmm. that's the vibe that I've always gotten and I know a lot of Madonna fans will call me insane for that but I think the the lyrics are beautiful I think that the production makes no sense I don't necessarily mind it as a ballad but it's she's so quiet in the mix and there's so much going on and it's just very the it's I, I don't I love the song I don't love the, the the production on this version I feel like it lets it down lets the lyrics down because the lyrics are so great. Yeah, uh, the demo version of this I much prefer. Um, this is my second favorite track on the album. 
Um, it's soaring, beautiful song, but I agree there's too much production on this final album version of the song. Um, I think I would have loved it more and would enjoy it more had I never heard the demo. But having heard the demo and preferring the demo and then hearing how it turned out officially kind of like like dulls the shine a little bit for me. But still, um, this is one of two really spectacular Madonna songs on this album to me. I think when ranked with her earlier epic songs from like her whole entire career, this stands, this can stand with them. Um, not maybe not better than but like surely in in the same class I think um, there's just so much heart so much feeling in the song which you don't always get believable from Madonna which I really really respond to um, I feel like this is like an epic song that deserved to be um, celebrated more than just an album track like this I would have loved this as a single as a single that she performed you know you know, at, on TV shows or at award shows with the music video. Like, this is a song that had so much potential. And it's just like a, a really ripe piece of juicy fruit just on the vine that is never plucked. But I love it. It's my second favorite song on the album. Next is Best Night by Diplo. Um, you can call me M tonight. And then we're and then we're going to reference justify my love for half the song. Right, because, of course, when she's saying you can call me M, which is a callback to, you know, her Dita days, she'll be your mistress tonight. Um, but go ahead. Well, go ahead. Continue. It's fine. <laughs> the lyrical syncopation bugs me. Um, I don't mind the Indian horns in the background. Like that doesn't bother me, whereas the reggae before did the the Indian influence on this doesn't bother me. It's it's not like in the forefront. It, I don't think it's like exploitative. It's just it, it's fine. I like it. Um, the song is decent, simple lyrics. You can kiss me, make me blush. Like, ugh, really? <laughs> like that's like the okay. Um, like the simple lyrics hurt my ability to like love the song. And then, as you mentioned, another fucking callback to another Madonna song, Justify My Love. Um, you know, and in, in, a, in a vacuum where this is the only reference on an album would be fine. But like now it's beyond heavy handed. And the worst is still yet to come of all these callbacks. Yeah, it's like so. if you take a shot every time Madonna references herself on this album you'd be dead of alcohol poisoning by this point <laughs> oh yeah and if not the next track for sure will put you into a alcoholic oh. coma yeah like the callbacks this is where they start to feel reductive and it's just like okay yeah. I just now 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 it's so now every every single cool thing that she had done where you know individually it might have worked or be cool is now ruined because they just overdid it and speaking of overdoing the callbacks, track 16, Veni Vidi Vici, produced by Diplo. Um, so this song, the callbacks only bother me because by this point, we've already choked to death on them. 
But as a as a singular song, again, in a vacuum, which is kind of like autobiographical, like telling the story of like her career, like fine. Like like cool if it was the only time she did it, I think. Yeah. You know? Um the the thing that when listening to it again, you know, taking notes for for this episode, she starts from the very beginning of her career and she hits like most of the high points. And and as you and I have discussed at great length, almost on a daily basis, Madonna is working on the screenplay for a autobiographical film of her life. And I'm like, well, all she needs to do is go back to the lyrics of this song and then boop, 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 boop. It's like bullet line, you know, bullet listed of like every single point to hit in her career. Which, again, is fine if this was the only song on the album where she does this. But she had, like, blown her load well before the song comes up because we've already been hit over the head over and over and over on almost every song with references to her career. And by this point, it's just like, enough, <laughs> enough. We know you're Madonna. <laughs> you know, we know you, you, we know you like Vogue. We justify my life. We know all these songs. Stop. I please, love the stop. lyric. Um, when I struck a pose, all the gay boys lost their minds. Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's cl- it's it, it's cheeky. It's cheeky. I don't hate I that don't lyric. Hate it. It's just like um, okay, but of the cringy things, you know, it's better than you know, polish my <laughs> headlights. Yeah, I think um, Nas has a killer verse on this song. I love. Totally. I love I don't know Nas. why he's on this song. I love um, his verse. I just don't understand the relevance to the song. Totally agree. Because he's like rapping about totally his agree. marriages. I'm like, this whole point of this song is like referencing all of these old past eras of like one artist. And then you have another artist come on and he's just like not. Who has no relation to her career. They've never had a relationship yeah. together. I didn't even know they were yeah, friends. It's like throw him on Best Night or throw him on literally any other song. But it's like. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Another baffling decision. That it's just like my guess. My guess, and I, you know, I don't know how these things work up necessarily, but it's my understanding that when a pop star or at least an artist asks a rapper to guest onto their track, they're allowed to write their mm-hmm. own verse, which is great. So Bobby sent him the demo, and he's like, "Okay, it's an autobiographical song where Madonna's talking about her career." I'm going to rap about my career. And they're like, okay. And then they put it together and it's like, what? Like, it just doesn't, that's how I think, or if I'm guessing, that's how I think that that came about, but it just doesn't make sense. Especially when you know his, who he's singing about Khalees, you know, like he was married to Khalees and that relationship, I guess didn't end well. And it's like, I like Khalees. I don't want to hear Nas like talking about how, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird. I remember, we it's met Khalees together. We did at a book signing Which for her I cookbook. Think regularly now. So we're gonna have to do a Khalees episode now that we're mentioning her. But that's that's we're getting off track, and we are we we have uh, many more songs to get through really quickly. Okay. Um. Yeah. So track seventeen is S E X, produced by Kanye West. I was going to say no. Yeah, no. How, another example of how do you have a song by Madonna called Sex or S-E-X and it's a fail. Like, how does that happen? 
I don't know. The whole thing about like referencing bars of soap and dental chairs for sexual fetishes, it's just no. The song, the song is no. It's just... That's my only thing about it. It's just no. <laughs> um, yeah. No. I'm trying to look at my notes of anything of redeeming <laughs> value. Let's just say no. <laughs> Your notes say no. Um, my I do that unimpressed. Um, should have been a slam dunk. Just, yeah. All right, let's just continue. Messiah, track 18, produced by Avicii. Um, another pretty song, in my opinion. See, now this is the opposite, where where I see a track title like Sex, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be a banger, and then it's not. But then I see a Madonna song called Messiah, and I'm like, ugh, this is probably going to be terrible. And it's actually not. I didn't expect to enjoy the lyrical content of a song titled M- Messiah, which made me roll my eyes, but I was like, oh, pleasantly surprised when I heard it. Madonna's being vulnerable again. Nice side of Madonna that we don't get to see very often. So not a song that I dislike. One of my favorites on the album. The production's perfect. The lyrics are perfect. Melody's perfect. It's just a, a 10 out of 10 for me. Should have been on the main album and not relegated to weird bonus track ap- right after sex, which sequencing makes no sense. But uh, no I sense. love Messiah. I think it's I, I love it on the I loved it on the tour. I love it on the album. Uh, I think it's perfect. Yeah, and uh, and again, Avicii produced it. Like my favorite songs on the album are produced by Avicii, and my absolute favorite song on the album, track nineteen, Rebel Heart. Um, far and away, in my opinion, the best song on this album. Um, probably in my opinion, the best song from Madonna in easily fifteen years. Maybe 20 years. I don't know. Like, I really, really love Confessions. And that's like, her, in my opinion, her last great album. This song is so good. I don't even, I, I struggle with, is it better than that whole album? I don't know. It's, I fucking love this song. One of her greatest songs, period. Great, you know, autobiographical rap lyrics in the, in the track. For me, everything about it works. The music, the lyrics, the vocal, the delivery the production to a point because the finished version is really, really good. If the finished version is like a 10 out of 10, the demo version is like a 15 out of 10 because I love the demo so much. I really only listen to the demo version of this track. And I listened to this song, this Madonna song itself more than any other Madonna song that's been out since 2000, honestly. Um, it's a great song that could have been her greatest song had she gone with the the vibe that we hear on the demo, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, the album version, again, is very, very good, but the demo is just like, oh, like a bit, bit better. You know, it's true greatness isn't realized because the greatness in the demo version was like just stripped away or just lessened or taken away. Um, that this song was not released as a single for the album is absolute pure utter insanity to me. Like I'm trying not to sound like a crazy person, but this is one of her greatest songs, in my opinion. One of my absolute absolute yeah, top, I think it's top three lyrically she's ever written. I don't know why she didn't put the song Rebel Heart on the main album of Rebel Heart. 
um, I mean, I love the lyrics to this song enough that I have it tattooed. <laughs> like, I, I have that my yep. heart too, which actually, funny story, I used to work in a restaurant, and Guy Osiri came in one time, and I was like, oh, God, I'm serving Guy Osiri. Guy Osiri is Madonna's manager. <laughs> and I'm like, he's totally going to see my Madonna tattoos, because I also have reinvention in Hebrew on the same arm. And um, so the whole at the end, he like walked up to me. He's, he's super nice. His whole family is super nice. He has awesome kids. And uh, he walked up to me. He was like, I just wanted to shake your hand and say thank you for, you know, being a part of the support that for Madonna and the work that we do. He's like, would you mind if I take a picture of your tattoo, send it to her? <gasps> and I was like, yeah, please. <laughs> so he was like, he was like, yeah, she always loves to see uh, when I like fan tattoos. So he took pictures of my arm and he was like, and he shook my hand again. He was like, he like thanked me or whatever and left this insane tip. He's the nicest guy ever. And, um, Oh my God. Did you tell me this? I, this sounds kind of familiar, but I don't remember that he took a picture of it to oh, show Madonna. I don't remember. It was years ago, but it was definitely one of those crazy moments where I was like, I like, I still remember what he ordered <laughs> like six, five or six years later. But it was, it was like so, so special. And I also remember on the tour, I had my tattoo by that point and, and I was in the front row and like, I was, I like held up my, my arm with the tattoo and then she saw it and she grabbed my hand and like, smiled. oh, I love that. See the, that th this is the Madonna that I will stand for the mm -hmm. rest of my life in spite of all of the things that she has done, especially most recently that are cringeworthy to say the least um it's things like that that will bring me back to she's she's the greatest pop star totally ever uh but um yeah this song fuck like love and i can't wait until we talk about uh the demo version once we get to that part of our discussion but let's continue <laughs> the album that never ends the album that never <laughs> ends track 20 beautiful scars go it ahead exists. what do you think <laughs> it's a surprisingly bright sounding song good lyrics voice sounds a bit weak but meh. you know she's she's again she's being vulnerable and i'm like meh. i don't hate it it's it's the lyrics are okay the production's okay the melodies it's just i'm just like why is it here like is this, did this really need to be on yeah. the album? Again, another maddening decision because she had so many great demos that we heard that just she decided we're not going to go on the album. She's going to go with something like this instead. Track 21, Borrowed Time, another Avicii production. Uh, musically, this is not the usual vibe that Madonna goes for, I think, but I, and I like the freshness. It's a sound that others have used, but to me, it doesn't sound like she was being reductive or referential. Sounds to me like she was just interested in going for a lighter sound for like more singer-songwriter, which is not what we usually get from Madonna. Um, this is the song that at, at the point in listening to this album and taking notes, I was like, this is where I was like, I wish we could have a Madonna Avicii collaboration album where it's singer songwritery, a little bit of his EDMness, um, you know, his production, her lyrics, vocals, performance, like, ugh, mm -hmm. you know, like, can you imagine what a Madonna singer songwriter album era would be, be like? American life. 
without the rap. <laughs> but yeah, like, like, yeah. I, but I mean, fully, you know, like that's close. That's close. Um, but if she went for that kind of vibe with someone like Avicii or Avicii himself, because he, I just, I'm just astounded by the magic that they did together. And I'm so heartbroken that the collaboration didn't work out because all the greatness they that that I hear in the demos that they did together are diminished or completely excised yeah. from the final I heard product. I Break City about this too because this song is perfect. It's got a beautiful melody, it's got amazing lyrics, and it's got fantastic production. Mm -hmm. Why is this on the super deluxe? Like nobody, nobody listens to super. Like nobody's gonna be unless you're like a stan. Nobody's still on this album, but on track like 75 or wherever we are now. Well, I will say, you know, just briefly, since this album came out, streaming has gotten much more popular and prevalent. Like I was very anti-streamer in 2015. I was still, I like buying my CDs. I like buying my records. I like ripping entries to my computer and having the files that I own on my phone, my iPod, mm -hmm. end of story. But since then, the streaming catalogs have gotten bigger. And when an album, like when Taylor Swift released her two fantastic albums last year, they were both immediately available on streaming. Full deluxe versions, when those come out, those immediately go on streaming. So you don't have to rebuy an album for the extra six songs because they're just right there on streaming. So I feel like in, in this day and age, a super deluxe you know, with bonus tracks and all that is is the same as the release of a regular album because they're both available on streaming at the same time or at least at the same time of, of release. Yeah. So, but back then, you're right. You either bought, you know, most people buy the cheaper album, the, you know, the regular album um, and they miss on so many bonus tracks because, you know, only crazy fans or only ardent fans um, will buy every single incarnation and, you know, European imports and Japanese bonus tracks and, and all of that. But yeah. anyways, track 22, Addicted, the last Avicii song on the album. This is one of my complete what do you favorites. Think? And I, it almost strikes mm -hmm. me as Rock Donna a little bit. I mm -hmm. think it could have been a hit. I think that it is one of her best songs since Confessions. I think it's just fantastic. I love the lyrics. I love the production. I love her vocal delivery on that last chorus where she sings, see, I don't know what it is. And she does that little growl, which she hasn't done since like the uh -huh. 80s. Like she's like, she is in this song and she is singing it like she means it. She is selling it. The production uh -huh. is just going right along with her. I do not understand how not only was this not on the main album, it wasn't a single. It wasn't even on the deluxe. It got relegated to here. I'm like, this is so great. Mm -hmm. Like, what is it doing here? So I am such a fan of this song. Um, I I don't know what vibes I get. If I get like Ray of Light vibes or like, maybe not Ray of Light, but like music. Like around that time in her career, like that this song reminds me, like it would fit, it would it fit mm -hmm. back then. Um, it's one of the stronger songs on the album for me. I wish we got remixes of this song. I would love to hear remixes like, you know, Avicii remixes of this song. Um, 
yeah, one of the great songs that is just relocated to the end of a super deluxe version of the album that just gets lost. And finally, track 23, Graffiti Heart, produced by Toby Gad. Go ahead. I, when the album came out, this was one of my favorites. And it's I'm having a weird moment, and this doesn't usually happen, where a song like it grows but like the opposite of growing on me. Like I enjoy it less as time goes on. It's like, mm. I used to love this song and now it's just very like, it's, I think it might be too on the nose for me. It seems like, Hey, remember I knew yeah. Basquiat and remember I knew Keith Haring. Um, the, the lyrics, I like the melody, the production's fun. I feel like I, it's just like fatigue by this point in the album where I'm just like, do I enjoy this? <laughs> I, I, it used to be one of my favorites and now I'm just kind of lukewarm on it. Um, I love the music of the song. Um, the graffiti metaphor is like, whatever, a little eye rolly, but you know, show me your painted heart. Like going with the, the painting artistic metaphor works better for me, but like graffiti on a heart sort of thing is like, okay, I don't know. But I like the song. You know, I love the music of the song. Um, yeah, it, I, I don't know. It could have been this better. Is an instance where it makes sense as a super deluxe bonus track. Like, it's good enough to be released, but does it need to be, like, on the main album? No. Yeah. Um, so that is the track list of the super deluxe album version that's available on streaming that we have uh, collected in the playlist for this episode. There's one more song that is included as a bonus track in France. Is that correct? correct. Uh, Auto-Tune Baby, also one of the songs that was leaked in demo form, produced uh, by Diplo and Kanye. And it's a weird-ass song. Yeah, the whole (laughs) song is structured around um, this major laser song called Baby featuring Prince Zimbu. And that's where the auto-tuned baby actually comes from, but which I thought that was kind of funny. But then the whole um, lyric about all wrapped up, I want to be your little baby now is we're just going to go back to no. Yeah, yeah. Um, But because we don't, um, the song is not available on streaming. I clipped out just a short like minute or so of it. So I'm just going to go ahead and play it for you here. So have a listen.
Okay, so we talked about the albums on, uh, we talked about the, the songs on the album. To round out the, the, the playlist for this episode, we have added three uh, live tracks from the Rebel Heart Tour live album that was released. But before we talk about the songs that uh, are on the playlist, let's just talk generally about the Rebel Heart Tour. So uh, Rebel Heart Tour visited cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Oceania, began in September of 2015. Uh, at the time, Billboard reported that it would only use arenas and visit cities where Madonna had not previously performed. The initial itinerary included 25 to 30 shows in North America and 20 to 25 shows in Europe with additional dates uh, that were revealed later. Uh, it was the singer's first visit to Australia since 1993's The Girly Show World Tour. Uh, and it was her first time performing in New Zealand and the Philippines. The tour's main stage was elevated and set up at the end of each arena with a long catwalk extending from the middle into the audience, ending in a heart-shaped center stage in the middle of the the arena floor uh and the catwalk was bisected by an arena wide cross stage so uh austin and i both saw this tour we did not see it together we saw it in different cities so do you want to just talk a little bit about where you saw it you know what you thought of the tour yeah, in general so i saw it at the Go sap ahead. center in san jose and uh, I really liked the intimacy of the mm -hmm. show. And I think that being front, like if there was any tour to be front and center for, it's this one because there, it was much less going on than, you know, MDNA or Sticky and Sweet. Uh, I really liked the intimacy of it. I liked uh, how it felt more stripped down. It felt more like she was like connecting with the audience and not just running around and jumping from platform to platform. It just towards the end of the tour, it just started uh -huh. to get like seem weird, I guess, when she started doing Tears of the Clown uh -huh. with where she's riding around on a tricycle and then all that stuff was going on with like her custody thing with Rocco and she was crying on stage. And it was just like the end of the uh -huh. tour, like just it just felt like the, the era started on a weird note and it ended on a weird note. And it also kind of just felt like the end of like Madonna as we knew her. And then with everything she's done since then, it kind of feels like a different artist and a different person to me. And I like, I enjoy Madame X, but this kind of felt yeah. like a bookend to me, the end of this tour. Um, I saw the tour here in Los Angeles at the forum. Um, I had really good seats. Like I was like two or three seats away from like the center stage. So I kind of central and a really good spot. Um, I feel like exactly what you're saying, like it's a little pared down and it's it's more fun because Madonna is able to like run around and make more eye contact. It's not so choreographed necessarily with like flying or stages or whatever and pyro and all of that. But I will say when you watch it on video, it seems not boring, but like it seems lacking because the show, the, the start, the start of the show is like stages and, and things are happening. But for a huge portion of the center part of the show, she's kind of just like just dancing and walking around. And that's cool when you see it in person. I just don't think it translates to super entertaining when you watch it like totally after agree. the fact. But I, I, I liked the show. Um, the what was I going to say about she made um, 
uh, merch that was unique to just the show itself and the city itself. And I have one of those shirts, which I really, really love. So, yeah, I like the tour. Yeah, it was, it was a, uh, trying to find the word. It felt, I think it just felt intimate. I think it was, I think it, the Madam X tour was attempting to be intimate, but this somehow the Rebel Heart tour ended up feeling more intimate to me. Yeah, it's, I, I, I agree. Like, I feel it's intimate because there was less like stuff going on on stage. It was more of her um, like interacting with the audience or at least, you know, dancing, with with dancers not you know hanging from like chandeliers or whatever you know like i i like it. it's it's intimate in a huge arena as opposed to like madame x which is intimate because the venue was just smaller with less people so um yeah of you know of the tours that i've ever seen you know not it's i i wouldn't say it's my favorite only because when i think of like madonna and like really great performances I always go back to like the confessions tour because that was just such a special moment for me which I talked about ad nauseum on the last Madonna episode that we did um so anything other than that was going to pale in comparison but uh the fact that um you know Madonna set up the show where she was able to reach down and touch your hand because she saw your tattoo you know what I mean or at least to make eye contact with fans like that's something that I think um, we don't get enough of from from stars of her caliber. So, yeah. OK, so yeah, uh, we like the tour. Great. Let's talk about the three tracks that are on the playlist uh, to round out this uh, episode. So track 24 uh, is Burning Up live from the Rebel Heart Tour. Um, I love burning up, you know, it goes right back to the very start of her career. And I love that, you know, in 2015, you know, she was, she was still, you know, performing the song really, really well. It's one of my favorites. So I loved that it was on, on the, the, the set list, um, you know, and talking about an album that's like autobiographical and making references to, you know, her, her earlier her hits in her career um i liked that the like her first single was is was front and center on on this tour it's like the second track right or the second yeah. the second song second or third song in the on the show yeah the third third song after yeah. iconic and bitch i'm madonna um i i always always will love when madonna whips out the electric guitar and starts rocking shit up i think it's so badass and fun and how she like rips off that part of her outfit to reveal like yeah. her legs is really cool um, the whole are you listening motherfucker oh yeah Sorry. she's she, uh, she's not it's not madonna <laughs> she's not yelling at her crowd for not yelling loud enough i can't hear you yeah, she had a lot of good one-liners on this tour yeah my favorite one-liner from this <laughs> tour is "Where's Mihor?" Because it's just I that always sticks in my brain. I think it's like after Body Shop, and she's making everybody show off their six packs. But um, no, "Burning Up" was like when I remember seeing it live. Like the first two songs were like this is fun, but then when "Burning Up" happened, like that's when this the arena was like okay, we're yeah, like fully yeah. invested. I mean, that made party. everybody happy. Going back to even all the fans that were at at the yeah. show because they didn't know 
they probably didn't know much of Rebel Heart, but for sure they know Burning Up and track 25, Material Girl, a song that she, for a huge middle portion of her career, she hated, never wanted to perform, never wanted to talk about, hated the nickname Material Girl. Um, so that was another thing that I loved about this tour that she performed Material Girl and I wanted to put on this track, this playlist because, um, you know, for me, it goes back to when I was a kid, like loving Madonna and she's always going to be that Madonna for me. And it was always a bummer for me when she, you know, like avoided performing those songs and that song in particular, same thing, like when Prince like, uh, found religion and like would never sing his sexy songs anymore. Like all that always like hurt, like breaks my heart. So it was really, really glad to see that she got over that and was happy to be a material girl again. Yeah, this is my favorite performance of the show. Mm -hmm. I love the whole Diplo sounding remix of it. It's actually my favorite version of Material Girl. I love how the dancers and her slide down that thing at the end, and then she puts on the veil and does her little classic iconic <laughs> yes. sidestep dance from the early 80s. Um, it's just, it's so much fun. And like, especially with the, my favorite thing about the Rebel Heart tours in this last act, yep. you can just tell she's having a fucking blast. And there's, it's very rare to actually make it look like where she actually seems like she's having fun. Like she does, especially lately, that weird thing where she smiles all the time while she sings. But I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my god, that's so not believable. But like here, yep. I'm like, she's actually having a really good time, and it's coming through. And she, I love her fan interactions about her failed marriages. And stuff. It's fun. It's just fun. Like I said earlier, like, yep. you go to Madonna to have fun, and this is a prime example of her having fun, being fun, creating fun. Totally, atmosphere. totally agree. And track twenty six, the final song on this playlist is uh, Madonna's rendition of Edith Piaf's La Vienne Rose. She certainly loves her Edith Piaf. Um, she, is she playing a ukulele or a mandolin? I'm not sure. You know, I don't remember. I think it's a like ukulele. My, my memory tells me ukulele, but now I'm questioning. I think it's a ukulele, but I don't, I don't know the difference between the two. Um, or at least how they look. I'm sure there is a difference. Um... One of the most interesting performances from the tour set list. Um, she says it's her favorite moment in the show. Uh, and she calls the song one of the greatest love songs ever. And I have to give her props that her French is decent. Um, it's way better than her Spanish, for sure. Yeah, it's such a lovely moment of the show. Everybody's got their lighters up. She's just elated to be singing it. She looks beautiful. She sounds great. She's clearly singing the song that she loves. It's just such a it's 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 like the it's like the heartwarming moment of the show. And she's also on uh, her boyfriend Malik right now. He's about to drop a song with her singing "La Vie en Rose" as the chorus on this rap song. Huh? I did not, I did not hear that. We'll have to talk about that offline because I don't know how I feel about that. But and that <laughs> wraps up our discussion of the Rebel Heart Super Deluxe album and these select songs from the Rebel Heart Tour on the playlist that uh, we have put together for this episode. And we have one more part to talk about before we wrap up this episode. Okay, so final part of this uh, episode, this is already going really long, but to wrap out, 
since I have you, Austin, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, for me, like the big elephant in the room of like, what the hell happened between Madonna and Avicii? Um, so when she, you know, decided she was going to make this album and she was going to work with a whole bunch of songwriters and a whole bunch of producers, she, I think she met Avicii at like some ultra festival in like 2012 or something and then decided to, I'm not exactly sure how, how the, the work collaboration started, but they worked together. And as we hear on the final official album, and then we hear in the demos that didn't make it, Madonna worked uh, very successfully with Avicii. In my opinion, it's the most exciting music that she's done in the last half of her career. Uh, as I mentioned, and I gushed earlier, Rebel Heart is like my favorite song in like forever. Um, so what happened from when Madonna and Avicii collaborated on the demos to the final version of the album, a lot of the Avicii-ness was taken out of the songs that they did together and in my opinion, were made less than. So no one really knows. I did my best to like really get an understanding of like what happened between them. Um, and I have my opinion and I'm sure, or at least my guess, and I'm sure you have your own guess. So let me first start off with saying, okay, so in 2015, after the album was released, uh, Avicii gave an interview with the UK newspaper Daily Star and he recalls butting heads with uh, Madonna when they worked on their music together and he said quote at the beginning we were all on the same page and then I wasn't happy with the final product uh, Avicii's version of the song leaked early he says he still prefers his version over the final cut that Madonna eventually released and then he said quote I thought it was better, it was more me, which I completely agree with. I feel like um, the demo version sounds really, really Avicii, and that's what I really like about it. And in retrospect, maybe that's what she didn't like about it, that it sounded too much like him and not enough like her. I don't think that I buy that. I mean, look at Hard Candy, that literally sounds like the producers, as, as does MDNA. I mean, it sounds like half that album is a Martin Solveig album featuring Madonna. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. I, I Again, I'm just speculating because we don't really know. Like, who knows? Maybe they just had an argument or whatever. Like, who knows? But it, like, if I'm just extrapolating based on, you know, the fact that the album was so quote-unquote autobiographical and it was so much her referencing her earlier career and um, maybe the producers that she ended up working more with on the final product, like Diplo and Kanye, were more willing to do just whatever she wanted. And maybe Avicii was not willing to do that, or he was more, um, you know, wanting to have more of a say. And maybe that's where the the friction came from. I don't know. Yeah, I if I, if I were to guess, I would think that she, she, whatever happened between them and then combining that with her being pissed at the leaks, she kind of was just being spiteful and uh, just trying to make a point. I don't know. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, nobody, I don't think anybody on earth questions the fact that her, her quality control in her brain is not what it used to be in my opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah, I of mean, course, and this have, is all speculation because we don't know. Yeah, when you have songs like that and you're like, mm, just the, all the songs she decided to put on the album, the way she decided to change them, it's just, it's baffling. And I'm sure we will probably never know what really happened, especially because Avicii's gone now. But it's just, it's such a, it's such a tragedy because that album could have been, I mean, as much as I enjoy the album, I mean, half the album is just cringe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the potential for it is is devastating. In 2018, years after the album was out and released, uh, Avicii did an interview with Rolling Stone and they asked him, uh, you worked on Madonna's Rebel Heart album a couple years ago. Have you stayed in touch with her? And he said, quote, not really. I'd love to work with her again, but that was uh, right when I was busiest. And I think she might have been disappointed in me for not being able to put, uh, put in as much time as she wanted. A lot of things started suffering when you don't have the energy or time to do things properly. You think you can get away with it, but the quality suffers. So again, this is another, you know, a little bit more information. So like maybe his schedule, their schedules didn't, I I just think maybe he wasn't available to her enough. And then as you mentioned, it also occurred to me that when the leaks came out, I thought maybe she blamed him or something because I thought, well, maybe either his thing got hacked or maybe he's the one who leaked it or something. Cause I was like, what it had to have been something like significant for her to decide to, you know, cut ties with him, not all the way, but you know what I mean? Like he, he did remix. He, you know, he offered some remixes when the out after the album came out. So there was some bit of working relationship still. And she obviously loved many of his songs, uh, six of them, right. A few of them uh, to make the final album. So I don't know. And then, as you also briefly mentioned, um, Avicii, whose real name is Tim Bergling, he passed away on April 20th, 2018, at the age of 28 years old. Uh, At the time of death, there was no uh, immediate cause of death given. But on the 21st, it was, uh, or on May 1st, it was reported that his cause of death was suicide, which is insanely insanely heartbreaking so as you mentioned you know he's gone and we may never know what happened and any chance for the two of them to collaborate again is gone and all we have of Madonna and Avicii exists in this album and in the demos so we are finished with this part of this episode of the Madonna Rebel Heart Era podcast episode. Uh, we have a second part coming up uh, later on this week where Austin and I will talk in more detail about the demo leaks, uh, the demos that didn't make the album, um, our thoughts on those demos, and um, and all of that. So is there anything that you would like to say to wrap out your contribution to this part one of this rebel heart discussion, Austin? Um, I think it's just a, a good way to end it to say RIP to Avicii and RIP to Sophie. Cause For they sure. both contributed a lot to this album. They're both incredible musical geniuses that both left the earth far too soon. So RIP to them. And, thank and you Madonna and Madonna's fans have benefited greatly from their talent and their hard work, their music, which we will have forever. So 
um, yeah. All right. So we will be back at you in a couple days with part two. Stay tuned for that. And until then, bye. Bye. Each episode of Spooky Electric has a playlist that I have created for each individual episode. The playlist can be found on my Spotify account, Trent Venegas, in the playlist folder titled Spooky Electric. The playlist track listings are listed on the Spooky Electric Instagram at Spooky Electric, where the O's are zeros. S-P-0-0-K-Y-E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C.